Hello and welcome to Open Source Governance. My name is Pendar and you're listening to the seventh episode of this podcast. I'm back with a new episode after almost one year since the last episode that I recorded. There is certainly a long pause between these two episodes, and there are some reasons for that which I will explain. So for this episode, I'm going to explain a little bit what I've been doing during this past year. I'll revisit the reasons why this project exists and what is its mission. I'll explain a little bit uh, the activities that I'm doing that is connecting with this project. And also I'll do a recap of the previous episodes for you to kind of refresh your memory about the discussions that happened in this podcast, either as me explaining terminologies or talking to different guests. Overall, this is going to be rather a short episode that will refresh this project for you and for myself and to kind of check where this research is standing and where it's headed. All right, so why the long pause between the two episodes? Uh, In the past year, a lot has happened in my life, especially the news out of Iran really took most of my headspace. And like any other Iranian, I was glued to the news and watching the stories as they were unfolding. The teaching job that I'm doing in an art academy is uh, becoming more and more bold in my daily life and it's taking more space and I'm doing more tasks. I'm doing more years teaching graduation, first year, second year, third year. Um, And also um, something else that is taking a lot of my time is um, me joining the participations council of the Institute. So this is called the IMR, in Dutch short for Instituts Medezegenschapsrad, which translates to Institution Participation Council, which is a very interesting thing. It's basically a democratic body giving advice to the management and how the academy is governed and we also pass budgets and in, are involved in major policies and decision makings. Most of the time, our role is advisory, but sometimes, like the budget, our consent is what is needed. So there's actual votings and discussions, and there's a lot of meetings with the dean, with the management, with different parts of um, or committees of the institution. We talk to the individuals, we, you know, interview people, um, people stop us in the corridors talking about their concerns. And it's kind of uh, really like the parliament of the school. I like to call it the parliament of the school. So on paper, the definition of the IMR or the Institution Participation Council is a statutory 
advisory body representing the views of students and staff members in consultation with management and the dean. Its rights and obligations are defined by statutory law. The IMR has the right of assent in matters regarding the budget, the course and examination regulation, and the professionalization plan. The IMR also has a right to be informed of organizational matters and may provide advice both upon request as well as proactively. The council is also required to monitor issues related to discrimination and harassment. So how the IMR was born goes back to 1969 in the city of Tilburg. And in the University of Tilburg, there was an occupation uh, happening by the students of the university who wanted to have the right to participate in the decision-making because the structure was very much top-down and they wanted to kind of, you know, have a say in the decisions. And... Of course, this is the time where activism and civil movements are happening all around the world. So you can imagine something like that uh, made it very big in the news and it became kind of a turning point for the change of the policy of education system in the Netherlands. After this, the right to have the participation council in all of the higher education institutions became uh, a, a law. So you cannot have a university or a higher education uh, academy without having the IMR. And to give you a bit more of a background, if there's, um, there are several um, higher education institutions under a larger umbrella, then they have a central participation council. For example, in Rotterdam, where I'm living, uh, there is a Hochschule, and Hochschule translates into high school, but it doesn't mean that's a high school. It's just in the, the watch, the, it's just in Dutch, it's called a Hochschule, but it means a higher education institution where you can have a bachelor and master's degree. So in uh, the Hochschule Rotterdam, uh, it has several institutions under its umbrella, one of them being the Willem de Kooning Art Academy, where I'm teaching, and there's other, you know, like business school and, uh, you know, different departments. And they all have their own IMRs, and together they have another council, which is called the CMR, Central Medezegenschapsraad. And more general and more important decisions for the whole Hochschool is then made in that council. But the reason why I'm explaining all of this is because uh, later I will unfold how this is related to the project Open Source Governance and how I put myself in this position um, regarding my interest in collective decision making.
during this episode, I'll mainly revisit the main purpose for the project open source governance, as well as explain from a personal perspective why am I busy with this project and how it is present in my daily practice. I will also do a recap on the previous episodes and update you on where the podcast might be headed. Okay, so going back to the project open source governance. If you remember on episode zero, I explained that the project was born in 2015 out of a feeling of desperation regarding how I felt the representative system fails to represent the whole of the society and is influenced by corruption, lobbying, and private interests. After a parliamentary election in Iran, I was for a while thinking about how difficult it is to make a change in the representative system because of how it is designed. Also, I kind of thought that now we have the tools that can empower direct democracy and collective decision making and why we are not using them. I figured I'm not the first one to think about this, but there was not really much done about it and there was different projects happening here and there, um, looking at different technical things. But I decided I'm interested to practice this and to work more on this topic and bring it into my you know, daily life as an artist and kind of work with it as a person who's busy in creative industry, at least. So this is still, for me, the main goal of this project, to work with collective decision-making as a medium. Not sure if it's necessarily art, but who cares? Everything is now multidisciplinary anyways. The project started with several public sessions about the idea of direct democracy and direct representation. We had a lot of discussions, a lot of uh, problems of such an idea was raised, uh, a lot of concerns, uh, different examples around the world and in uh, big or small, you know, uh, sizes. Later, the project formed a core group with people who were more frequently coming to the sessions and more interested uh, in the discussions. But because of the COVID pandemic, these public sessions stopped and the core group kind of, you know, got cold and the project kind of stood still. But then I kind of became interested in podcasts and I thought, why not turn this into um, the medium for this project or as a research tool, you know? This could introduce the terminologies to my audience and analyze the idea. Also, it would work very well to educate myself and my audience, because if I wanted to have an episode, I really had to kind of dig deep before I could explain it. So I kind of forced myself into um, doing this research for the sake of the podcast, because, well, I'm not doing it as an assignment, um, so 
I kind of need some milestones. So overall, it became an active research with the podcast as its main tool. But since the start of this project in 2015, I have done a number of collective decision-making workshops here and there, which introduced me to several different project spaces, institutions, initiatives, artist-run spaces. And it was kind of um, a really nice um, way of also interacting with other projects. One of these institutions where I had the workshop was Willem de Koning Academy in Rotterdam, uh, in the Netherlands. This is where I'm working as a tutor in Autonomous Practices Department since 2021. In the last episode, one of my colleagues, Florian Kramer, was the guest who's also working in Autonomous Practice Department. So when I gave the workshop, uh, later I was hired by this department and became part of the Autonomous Practices. Interesting to know that Autonomous Practices is uh, a minor program as opposed to a major program being, you know, graphic design and photography, illustration. Those are the majors and minors are more, uh, you know, theme based like Autonomous Practices, social practices, commercial practices and these different um, theme based practices. So Autonomous Practices is there to teach self-governing to the students and it's for learning how to be an independent creative and how to form initiatives. So it's all about the independent mindset for, you know, uh, uh, students who are practicing creative industry, but also kind of initiating things and taking... um, part in the organization of things and kind of it's a practice for rethinking the usual ways or you could say um, in general it's about self-governing being part of this department uh, i felt a great opportunity to implement these kind of collective decision making techniques in my teaching for example i would ask the students to to come to a consensus over deciding about their group projects and how to come up with a central idea or how to execute it in a in an inclusive way so all of their own individual uh, opinions are considered when they are making the project and the tasks are divided and you know yeah and I would I would kind of use every opportunity to uh, focus on uh, consensus these are students from different majors they might necessarily not have seen each other and it's kind of also a moment to melt the ice to know each other and get to work together as a group But for myself, this kind of provided me with a testing ground for understanding how consensus works and what are its dynamics in a small scale Um, to experience when, for example, there is disagreement between people or where the right people are 
mixed with each other or when um, similar ideas morph into one idea, you know? So this kind of different situations was tested um, in front of me. And I kind of um, used this in my advantage as well while I was teaching the material to uh, understand decision-making a little bit better. A little bit more about uh, the academy where I'm teaching. Uh, this academy is hosting a lot of amazing individuals and practitioners as tutors who are active and educated in several civil topics. This community can also have critical views on how the institution is run. An example is on May of 2021, an incident regarding the downing of a Palestinian flag by the Academy security on the facade of one of the buildings of the Academy triggered discontent among the teachers and the students. And they organized different actions. I will share the full story in the description of this episode as a link. And you can learn for yourself what was the story. But the point is, while this was all happening, um, I saw an email from the the Hochschule Rotterdam. So that's the big institution that I told you about. That is the umbrella under which Willem de Koning is a part. Um, yeah, so I received this email in the mailbox, which was about to ignore because it's like so many newsletters coming in. And uh, I saw that it's an invitation to register as a candidate in something called the Institution Participation Council or the IMR. And I didn't know what is that. And I didn't have any idea what this thing is. And also I was very new. So I was only a few months in um, hired. I became fascinated by the idea that there could be a parliament-like organism in an education system. I found it very liberating and democratic. I asked around and figured out that not many other colleagues know about this. So I proposed to the community uh, who was also included of people who were busy with this incident of the Palestinian flag and I kind of suggested, hey, if you're not happy about the way things are organized, maybe we could be part of it and contribute to it and uh, better it and improve it, you know, and um, and actually do something. Um, at that time, there was a lot of criticism regarding the organization, but not much was happening other than actions, which was quite powerful and moving. Um, so is whenever something like that happens, a group of people decide that they are something is worthy of their time, their energy, and they would like to, you know, voice their opinion about it. So I saw this as an effective way to participate in the governance of the school to improve things. And eventually, me and a few other colleagues managed to register and win in the election uh, that was uh, conducted, I think a month and a half after that newsletter notification about uh, candidacy. And we got the seats and there's five seats for the, the staff and five seats for the, the students. 
thinking back about the project, open source governance, my aim was to understand the representative system on a small and local level. I had many crazy ideas from, uh, you know, designing a blueprint and testing it or introducing it to a prison or a school or um, a, you know, like a, a camp, uh, things like that. And uh, it was all in my head as ideas. But then I saw an opportunity to actually experience um you know, uh, at least being close or advisory to the management and or I kind of be in an observation spot where I really like, I like to observe things uh, first before I kind of do something or, or take action. I, I think the observation is very important. And as IMR, as a participation council member, you can do the observation quite easily. While helping the improvement of the organization of the academy, uh, I was looking for ways to make the existing representative system more inclusive and direct for all of its members and to experiment it in an actual local ground. So this is basically how I got into local politics of an art education institution. And since then, I'm experiencing so many different things in different levels, uh, from observing how large policies are made within an institution to, to financial distribution of budget and how topics such as inclusivity are handled within an institution such as this academy. Um, in an attempt to make the community more inclusive regarding the governance, I created a Discord server for the staff and the students to discuss different topics and be informed about various mechanisms of governance within the institution. I also created polls, channels, and election channels uh, with bots and, you know, like different types of interactive uh, um, tools for decision making. And I gave committees and student initiatives their own channels. Um, and this server is still growing and needs to be known better to the community to be really effective. But uh, so far, I managed to conduct a poll um, with a question um, about something practical in the school. And um, this kind of helped us give better advice to the management and actually that decision was made to um, by the manager uh, by the management so it kind of worked uh, as a sort of a indirect way of uh, advising or informing the managerial uh, body um, this, this little discord um, uh, server Another story that might be interesting is that uh, our dean has stepped down recently and uh, we will soon need a new dean. And I'm still not sure whether uh, this new dean is chosen or installed by the big Hoko school or is it going to be, you know, there's going to be uh, an open call or how it's going to be. 
But for example, in many countries in Europe, the dean of higher education institutions are elected. Uh, I know for one, Spain is doing that and Germany does it too. So they elect their dean to be uh, to take the position. Whereas in the Netherlands, I think it's more corporate based. So I imagine even you know corporations who who look for somebody who you know are hired to find somebody suitable, um, given their uh, criteria that they will receive from uh, yeah the bigger institution. So I still am not sure how the dean is chosen. I'm still inquiring about that. But um, I would be interested to kind of um, look for ways to make that a democratic process. For example, uh, to hold the election, um, you know, or like polls that they could inform at least the uh, the big Hoho school or Hoho school Rotterdam, I keep calling it big Hoho school, uh, Hoho school Rotterdam, uh, when they want to, you know, introduce somebody. So it would be interesting to create this a bottom-up uh, uh, process. Right, enough about education and governance of education systems. I'm going to do a recap, a short recap of the previous episodes. And other than episodes four and six where I had guests, the previous episodes were mostly educational. I figured if I want to explain the project, it first needs to have established a minimum knowledge about democratic terms. So that's why... I started to, you know, explain what these terminologies are. The first episode was about the representative system, how it works, what's its history, and I dived into the flaws of the representative system. And I briefly explained why there is an urgent need for direct democracy. In the second episode, I gave a theoretical and practical explanation what elections are and how they have been and are practiced around the world, as well as some examples of sham and legitimate elections. In the episode, I cited from the book of David van Rijbroek uh, called Against Elections, and I referred to his opinion about how trust between the government and the public is missing when you look at elections as a tool for um, governing. Third episode was about referendum and different voting systems. As a continuation to introducing direct and indirect democracy, in that episode I explained what a referendum is and what different types it has. I also introduced several common voting methods, including plurality voting, Condorcet method, instant runoff, score voting, and the electoral college. 
And I kind of now conclude that, in my opinion, score voting system was kind of the most fair one. The fourth episode was about Dutch politics. Uh, in that episode, I had a conversation with Queen Zigario about Dutch politics, and we discussed the structure of Dutch politics, its majority and minority political parties, and the obstacles for the communities and the minorities to voice their opinion within the Dutch society. And the ever-growing centralization of power, and we also talked about different examples. Fifth episode was about trust and governance. I talked about trust within the government. How does the relation of trust between the government and the people work? And I introduced instruments that are available to keep trust under check. And of course, I introduced some issues there are regarding trust and governance when using the existing systems in place. Uh, I also talked about liberal democracy and its three pillars. And also I briefly talked about populism and I gave a few examples how it can have, how it can be a great threat to trust and governance. And I gave some examples about COVID restrictions and how it's implemented in different parts of the world and what this example could mean regarding people trusting their government. And in the end, for the sixth episode, I talked to Florian Kramer about populism and alt-right. We touched upon many different subjects uh, from populism in contemporary history, different types of populism, populist leaders, Dutch politics, alt-right, and different shapes it can have to online mobilization of the right wing, open source programming and its history, uh, election and direct democracy. And for the next episode, I will invite more amazing guests to talk about open source programming and the possibilities it can introduce to direct democracy and collective decision making. This is an important episode because, as you may have realized, the name of the project is based on open source programming. In this episode, we will first discuss more technical meanings of open source. But in the future, uh, we'll have more episodes talking about what open source as a notion mean when you think about transparency and communication between the government and the governed. So not only the programming, but more what is open, what is available, what is visible for people to see. That's it. I tried to keep it short as a quick episode to recap the previous episodes and 
put on perspective again what this project is about and uh, put it back on track again. Yeah, until next episode, which I'm really hoping it's less than a year from now. Um, talk to you soon and stay safe. Bye.